Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone-Levine, Laurie McDougall, and Annie Highwater. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies in Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Hi, everyone. This is Laurie McDougall back on Coming Up for Air. I'm going to pass it off to my co-host. Kayla Solomon. Thank you. This is Kayla Solomon. I am a clinical social worker and I run the Wednesday night support group. And I am going to pass it over to our other co-host. Hi, it's Dominique Simone Levine. I've been working with Kraft for over 17 years now and uh, started Allies in Recovery in, in 2003 and now run alliesinrecovery.net. Awesome. Thank you so much, ladies. Um, Dominique, you're going to update us, yes, on what we're going to talk about today. And uh, you had some points that you wanted to make. I just wanted to summarize what you went over last week. I thought it was so important, and I'm sorry I missed it. If anybody didn't get a chance to listen, it's uh, number 81 coming up for air on iTunes or on the member site if if alliesinrecovery.net if you're you're a member. If you'd like to become a member, I would say go quickly. It's free for another month or two. Uh, We've been free since COVID started. So uh, we've appreciated all the uh, attention and interest and and over 1,500 new members since we started last, last March. So welcome, everybody. Um, and I also, if I can, just like to say, uh, soyez les bienvenus. Vous avez au moins 5%, 5% of, of the population of, of members on our Allies in Recovery site come from Canada. So uh, welcome, Canadians. Uh, you, I'm, you're reaching out from all parts of Canada and you're appreciating the site and um know that I'm with you and uh, we are actually working to promote and get a countrywide distribution of allies in recovery, both in English and in Quebecois um, and perhaps other languages as soon as we can. Um, So I just want to run by what was said last week because it was so important. You made the difference between families of people with addiction who feel like they're constantly in crisis or the crises do occur, but frequently enough that your biology, your cortisol levels, everything that happens to us as humans in crisis ends up uh, never coming back to normal, right? If that's an explanation of it, it's like, there's a crisis, you perceive it as a crisis, which Kayla very importantly underlines because a lot of this is what you perceive as crisis or what you perceive as chronic and the way to address one and the way to address the other, and they're different. Um, and so the idea is to understand yourself, understand how you distort what you see. Um, and to do that, we talked again about um, thought number one, thought second first thought, second thought, or um, 
if you look at module seven on, on the member site, um, it's a little bit of cognitive behavioral therapy light, right? It's just the idea that you're going to pause before you react and gaining that pause has, is a long, hard venture, but the ability to pause. And as Lori said, the longer you pause, the clearer you respond, the more genuinely, the more integrated a response that includes yourself as well as your loved one, right? But with some skills, you can't get there on your own. And that's where alliesinrecovery.net comes in. It's that this, we give you the skills to get there. Crisis, pause, react, get yourself back to normal. And if you can do that, you, ask, you start to recognize what is truly really uh, a crisis as opposed to what is much more likely, which is uh, ongoing lifelong addiction in your loved one. And I'm sorry to say that's the case. I would, I would call it, I would call it a, 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 a recurring illness because people have it and with a certain lifestyle change, their ability, their ability to keep it in remission may last the rest of their life, right? But occasionally it recurs in the, in the, in the shape of a relapse or a lapse. And, and you have to kind of go through this whole cycle with the family again. And you as the family member need to understand that that's what you're seeing. And so these are the, some of the skills we're training into you so that you become a more informed, more capable, less reactive, more, oh, that's this, I've seen it before, it means that, this is not my job, I'm not a first responder, it is a crisis, call the paramedics, call the police, call the neighbor that you've already decided is who you're gonna call in a crisis, whatever it takes, but don't do it yourself, you are not a professional. So that's a lot of what I got, from last week's talk. And would someone like to jump off from, from I, I'd like that? to jump in for a minute because <clears throat> I think, excuse me, <clears throat> one of the things that I really want to emphasize after listening to you, and one, somebody in the group actually said this this week, which is that there are gifts that come with this horrible situation. That if you're not in this horrible, horrible situation, you kind of go on with your life as you knew it. And, you know, as an Imago therapist, we believe that the, the way it works out with Imago in the Imago relationship therapy is we believe that we're attracted to our partners so that they could trigger us so that we could heal our childhood wounds. Okay, so that's the ironic part of all of this. And I feel like when you're when you're dealing with this horrible situation, it gives you this amazing opportunity to heal and to develop skills and to come up with a more expansive toolbox. And, you know, I, I used to joke around like people like, I wish I was from a normal family and I don't know anybody from a normal family. Yeah. <laughs> so, so for me, it's more like, okay, if you're gonna, life is stressful for all of us. And when you have somebody that is actively doing very harmful behaviors on a regular basis, you're, you're amped up to believe that things are just awful all the time. And what I love about the Allies in Recovery work and the craft work is that it's got such a specific and amazing toolbox. And you cannot have tools if you don't start using them as a practice. 
Okay. That's the thing about toolbox. It's not like you pick up a hammer and you know how to build a house. You have to practice things on a regular basis. And this is the gift of chronic. Okay. With chronic issues, every day you're going to have a trigger. Every day you're going to have an opportunity to pick up another tool. Every day you're going to be thinking, okay, what do I do? What do I do? And if you have this access to a toolbox and you pick it up and you start using it as one of your daily routines, then when things do go into crisis, and this is what Lori was talking about the last time, you have a pause and then something to fill it in with, as opposed to, oh, I'm pausing. Now, what do I do? Now, what do I do? Now, what do I do? If you've already had a practice, then you actually have more information about what you're going to do when the time comes. And that to me is a tremendous gift that you can only get if you're having a difficult situation. If things are good, why would you do it? Right. You know, I I absolutely love that you brought this up, Kayla, because so I also have um, I have my educational groups. I call them educational groups rather than support groups, because we are really looking at the craft skills and uh, we use the allies website um, to, to guide us. And as our curriculum um, in my rest groups. And I often will talk to families and share that when I first started with um, learning how to cope with substance use disorder in my, with my loved one, I, I, I was on a bit of a pity party, right? <laughs> like, you, you know, I, Kayla's laughing, everybody. I just want to, you know, she's smiling. Yeah, I was on a bit of a pity party. And it took me a while to realize through my own trauma that, boy, was I focused on myself and feeling sorry for myself. And and I, I was like incensed. I couldn't believe that I was going through this, that I had to go through this. But over time, as I started to work on my healing, I started to realize that, holy cow, what a gift it is. And, and I know this sounds crazy, but I don't know if I could, um, if I would really want the substance use disorder that has impacted my family to go away and not be a part of our family at this point. And the reason why I say that, and, and I don't wish it on anybody, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't wish it on anybody. But holy cow, did it change who I am as a person. It forced me to reflect on myself and who I am and, you know, my understanding of boundaries and, and just my, um, my love of life. Like, how do I, how do I describe Like in the beginning, I was just always weeping and teary eyed and just felt miserable and then, and, and I started doing these things like um, before I would go to sleep at night, I would say out loud what I was thankful for. And I, for, originally I started off with, I'm thankful that my son has survived another night, right? And then after about a month into it, I was like, geez, I didn't say anything about the two beautiful daughters that I have or the incredible husband that I have or boy, I've got some friends that have really stood by me. 
And so I started incorporating that into my, my, what am I grateful for? Within a month or two, I was like, I have hundreds and hundreds of beautiful, beautiful things in my life. Substance use disorder is just this one tiny portion. And boy, was I focused on that one tiny portion. And I wasn't, I don't think I ever would have recognized in my life all the incredible gifts that I have if it hadn't have been for having to have to deal with substance use. But disorder. look how brilliant this is. Okay. So you, there's two things that you said. Number one is it forced you to do something that you wouldn't have necessarily done before because you didn't have to. And the other thing is that because you did it on a regular basis and you practiced it, it changed over time. Right. And it, and it expanded your your toolkit and it expanded your view. But the other thing that you're saying, and this is key with loved ones, is it starts out as you. You are my problem. If you would do this, if you would change this, if this external thing was different, then I right. would be okay. And the toolbox is not about this other person. The toolbox is about yourself. Okay. And and the more you start using the tools to, to heal yourself. And, and I believe that this is what the whole craft model is about. The it more is. you heal yourself, the more you take that person out of the identified problem position, which right. by the way, is a stuck position. If you're the identified problem, even when you're better, you're still a problem because everybody's waiting for you to fail. Right. Um, but it, it's like this ridiculous focus on one or several people in your life. If you take the focus off of them and put it on yourself, then it takes the pressure off of that person. And that person gets to have their own healing journey. That's not about making you happy and calming your system down and changing you. Right. Right. And you know, there's, um, and, and we talk about all of this and we have to, we have to inch it over in rest, right. A little, a little bit at a time. Just, I, I had to do that for myself. I had to, um, move over to that slowly, but this is what I think this is taking care of myself, right? So in the moment of my perceived, and I'm going to say perceived crisis, calming myself down and taking that break, that's taking care of, that's really taking care of myself doing the yoga, the meditation, going for walks on the beach, having my nails done, doing my, you know, having my hair to me, that's practice. <laughs> what, what methods are going to help to calm me down when I'm in the middle of a crisis. So I practice those things, but it's in the middle of my, and I'm going to say perceived. I, I want to keep saying perceived crisis because also there's a difference between perceived crisis and what's chronic. And it takes a while to start to recognize that. Absolutely. Dominic, um, you wanted to say something. I yeah, I just would like for our, our listeners to have more ideas, maybe examples of what to do during a pause. Because it, 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 it sounds pretty excruciating to pause yes. in the beginning. And it's really hard to do. Yep. And so you gave us example, an example, Lori, of, of sitting on the couch, turning the TV on, grabbing the pillow and trying really hard to fall asleep. And that took a lot of effort. That took yes. you not doing it a bunch of times. And so for Kayla's talking about this little incrementalism, I'd like to know what else we can do to get in there during those pauses to hold ourselves in pause. 
Um, I know for myself, um, I've, I'm at a point now that the pausing has been so rewarding. I no longer need to be told to pause. I mean, unless I'm an impulsive mess, which, okay, 30% of the time, maybe. But the rest of the time when I'm able to pause, I see the benefit. I know it's going to be better. I'm going to think it through. I'll have more ideas. I'm going to sleep on it. I mean, all those things are not just words. They actually work for me. And I come up with the better answer, the saner, clearer, less impulsive, less angry, less revengeful, less all of that answer. But what do you do? What do you do? I mean, literally, I don't get on the phone. I don't talk to them. I sit, I sit, I sit. But what else is there to do when you can't I think sit, sit, sit? I think there's small mindlessing. I'm all about the mindless because I think that's what TV does for me. It's like it allows me to be mindless. There's a member in our group that got this beading thing where it's it's like these sticky beads that have a pattern. It's like paint by numbers, but with beads. And like that kind of thing, you have to focus. Like, and I have this tiny little intricate paint by number where in order for me to do it, I cannot think about anything else because the spaces are so tiny that I have to focus on that thing. It's like knitting is a great thing. I actually am somebody that believes if you use your hands, it actually could be really helpful right. because it stops you from like surfing the internet or whatever. And, right. and the one thing I absolutely want to say, because like my daughter was sick a couple of weeks ago and we got the blood, the blood back, the blood um, test back. And my partner went online and looked up what it could mean. And she went into a massive panic because <laughs> you know how that is. Yes. And I was like, stop it. Because so, so I actually think saying stop it is a really important place to start because we think that we're like getting um, educated and we're like being resourced and we're figuring out everything. We're being insane. Okay. So (laughs) I believe that there needs to be a voice that says, stop it. You're crazy. Stop, 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 stop. And then you go to the, whatever the pause is and Lori, feel free to jump in on whatever you would do. I, I also, I strongly believe that at least for myself, In the very beginning, when it's first happening, when I'm first getting triggered, I actually say to myself, okay, let it in, let it in, let it all kind of almost like go mentally crazy in your head and let it in. Don't fight it. Don't fight it. Because I find if I fight it, it sits down there and it just percolates and it keeps driving me crazy. And crazy so it's and crazy. go to the worst. What's the worst thing that could happen? And you go there. I do actually, okay. I do. And it actually helps me. I know this is the strangest yeah. thing, but it helps me. And I, and I go there, but then I, but then I, I just let it sit, let it just sit. And, um, and then I, I do have, I say it's an internal voice, but actually I have a feeling it's an external voice because my husband watches me talk to myself, right? So I'm actually- If your actually husband hears talk- it, it's external. Yes, it's external. <laughs> and, and I start talking myself down. And what I say to myself may sound totally illogical to somebody else, but it works for me, right? Like, okay, you know- you could, you know, um, I'm trying to think of things just, you know, yeah, he's probably gone. He's probably gone. 
Uh, but you know what? There's absolutely nothing you can do about it right now. And you could choose to flip out and cry and sob and make yourself really, really sick by the morning. Or you could not do anything, just kind of let this wash over you and then start, you know, what can you do right now to just calm yourself down and let yourself just sit with everything? Because I find that if I take the pause, I call it the big pause that Dominique has been talking about. Take the big pause, Laurie. Um, And believe it or not, much better, almost always solutions come to me. The answer of how to handle this better comes to me. And um, so that's kind of how I handle it. And, and it may be watching TV. It may, I also do paint by numbers, Kayla. I do. And, and I agree with you, the more I can get my hands doing something, the more I have to focus on something else so it helps me take, you know, get away from what's going on and lets my mind settle. Right. Right. Dominique? For those who um, don't understand the word trigger, which is a clinical word that's really used very much in popular culture today, but trigger, just imagine that first thought and and imagine being kicked in the stomach or, you know, the breath being kicked out of you. That's, that's the trigger, right? That's a trigger. That's the trigger right there. The quicker you can identify it and and understand that it just went through you like lightning and that's what it is. And it's one of those. And it's because of this, because I never feel respected, whatever, the faster you can get to talking yourself down and recognizing being aware that you just had a shock uh, recognizing that that's the first reaction. And now your, your, your job is to do go there the worst. And and Lori says, go there. It actually helps her. I can understand that he's dead. Okay. Well, I've done everything I could possibly think of, right? Um, let it sit. Well, I don't know. You know, my gut, my, my world divides in two, as we say, in allies in recovery, your loved one is either using or not using. Well, Lori at 11 o'clock at night was positive he was using. She didn't have to ask him. She didn't have to go driving the streets. She knew. So the, the idea was to let it sit. He's using. Now there's the voice talking yourself down, getting the plan in place. What are you going to do when he comes home? What are you going to do tomorrow if he's not home yet? Right now, I'm going to try to sleep. So that's the deconstruction of a moment in time, but that's where we're trying to go. And it's, it's little by little, don't expect miracles. Maybe you, maybe you'll have one, but it's, 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 that's the way through these things. Right. And, and I just want to say, what's interesting about what you're saying, Dominique, is that it's, it's trailblazing. So what happens is at the beginning of this, the crisis has a particular trail. Your loved one is not home at 11 o'clock. You have this list of things that you've always done. Maybe you get in the car. Maybe you start texting. Maybe you start calling. Maybe you start calling hospitals. You know, you have your thing that you do. That's the old trail. And that is very well beaten path. But then what happens is when you start to do the work, and I appreciate how you broke this down, 
you start building new trails. But when you build a new trail, it is not beaten down. It has to, you, you take a couple of steps and then you back up and you wind up on the other trail half the time. And actually, I like Lori's technique. And the way I got to first thought, second thought is when I started doing the catastrophizing, which is what you're talking about, which is something's going on. I go to the absolute worst. I thought it was a Jewish thing, but apparently <laughs> we sh it's shared among communities. Um, it's just chronic. It's around. just chronic. Okay. But that was the way I thought. And so what happened was I would let myself, when I let myself really go to the end of it, whether it was about myself or somebody else, it always ended in death. That was, uh, that's the thing that we share. I guess we're all afraid of that, but, but I realized, okay, so if the person is dead right now, what's my role? And I'm like, they're dead. There's nothing that you're going to, that's how I realized I wasn't a first responder. You call a first responder for dead people, not me. And so I was like, okay, if they're dead, there's actually nothing that I would be doing and I'm not going to undead them. So, so that's part of this. Now, what happens is with Narcan, that has changed. Mm -hmm. Like you, then all of a sudden you're a superhero with your pen where you're going to go traveling the streets, trying to find your kid and then, you know, zap them with an Arcan pen. But how realistic is that? You know, it's like, where are they? And are you going to be killed trying to help your kid? Because usually they're not doing it in some beautiful location. So, so it's like that, that was, that's the thinking that I, I think that you're talking about Lori yeah. is, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to die also while they're right. dead. Because the dealer's going to kill me. And I think I think it's important your trail trailblazer point. I think it's really important to understand that through all of this, especially when I first started doing it, understanding the emotions and what what the feelings can be while you're going through this, they're deep, intense, and really difficult. Right. So when those when you get triggered, right, with that first event with whatever it is, that's what happens, right? You get triggered, you have these awful thoughts, you, and now you have incredibly intense, difficult emotions and feelings. Those don't go away. Those are not going to go away, right? So I'm feeling really cruddy, and then I'm trying to calm myself down, and I'm forcing myself to take a pause. And boy, oh boy, do I not want to take a pause. I want to head down that old beaten path that I know and I am so incredibly comfortable with of pacing the floor and making the phone calls and feeling horrible and crying. And But I know that beaten path leads me down to where tomorrow I'm going to be an absolute mess, probably useless. So instead, I'm going to go the difficult path that hasn't been laid yet. I'm going to deal with these awful, deep, intense emotions. I'm going to try and tamp the emotions, at least make the emotions a little bit more manageable by pausing, by coming up with alternative things that I might be able to do, or what are things I can do right now in this moment to take care of myself, um, and then come up with some kind of a, a solution and to understand that we are supposed to feel difficult, intense feelings. We're supposed to feel them. We spend our whole lives trying to make them go away. 
which is why we head down that beaten path and don't trailblaze new paths. Well, not for nothing, but I just want you to know that you just defined why people use substances. Right. I was going to say, I love my path for those years. (laughs) Right. I had no problems. I knew the edges. I knew what I had to do. Right. But this is is why I often... um, I often equate that uh, uh, beating a new path to, and I've said this before, to um, empty nest syndrome, right? And my loved one goes off to college or goes, you know, moves away, whatever it is, takes on a job, you know, has a family. And now I'm, you know, my identity has changed. I'm weepy. I'm not their mom anymore, or I am their mom, but I'm not being called by Mrs. McDougal or whatever, you know, whatever it is. And I'm weepy, but that's because I'm uncomfortable. It's a new situation. And now I've got to find what's going to work for me. I've got to beat a new path because I'm not calling up my loved one and saying, you need to move home. I'm not, (laughs) I'm totally uncomfortable with my feelings and I need you to come and soothe me. I, I've got to find a way to soothe myself and I've got to find a new whatever it is that's going to make me comfortable. Well, isn't that a great analogy for what most of us are doing with our loved ones who are using? It's like, yes, you need to stop using so I could calm down and I can exactly. be OK because you're driving all of us crazy right. as opposed to back it up. This person does have their own life and their own choices. And although we would like to influence them, we can only do it if we, if we're in check, you know, if we're not hysterical, if we're not out of control, if we're not constantly triggered. And that's why I really like the role modeling um, piece of this. It's like, look, I started out as entangled with substances as you are, just it's through you. I just don't get the pleasure of them like you do. Right. I just get the torture of them. And then, and what happens is that you have given me this opportunity to have to work on myself. Now, I would never say this, but it's like, because of this dynamic, I've, I'm going to heal myself. I need right. to get better. I need to work on myself. And, and there are all ways that we could do it. It could be meditation. It could be arts and crafts. It could be friendships. It could be support groups. It could be communication. Um, and, and that's the other thing is that you could be journaling, you know, when, when you're freaking out and yeah. writing out all your worst thoughts and then yeah. finishing it with gratitude or finishing it with some positive thoughts or finishing it with prayers, or maybe it's about your spirituality. There's, it's so, there's so many gifts that are involved with, going back to yourself. And it, then it, it is. as you get balanced, you uh, that's what your your person is seeing. It's like, oh, wow, they, you know, how come they're not focused on me anymore? They seem to be doing better. And you take the energy out of that, the fraught part of the relationship. Right, right, right. No, I, I totally agree. And, and also, um, uh, this, this is why, um, yeah. In a nutshell, when we respond with fear, frustration, anger, all of all of those things, I believe we're actually driving. We're just continuing the illness and we're we're continuing to beat the path, the same path, deeper and deeper and deeper and making it harder to trailblaze new, more positive paths. 
if that makes sense. Yes. And what I'm going to add is when they talk about addiction as a disease, uh, the way the only reason I like the word disease is because to me, I hear dis-ease, okay, lack of ease. So if we look at our own issues as lack of ease, mm-hmm. and we're working towards ease, then that's what we're modeling to our loved ones, is that right. healing is about having more ease in our lives. Right. Dominique? Uh, Before we close, I just wanted to let you know of a study that Bob Myers and his colleagues did, one of the earliest ones, and they compared allies and craft with uh, Al-Anon, and they found that Al-Anon was able to, if you attended 12 sessions of Al-Anon, you were able to uh, get about 15% of your loved ones into treatment. Now it's 65% with craft. So there's no comparison. Al-Anon was never designed to teach families how to get a loved one into treatment. But what Al-Anon has done, and I believe is why you see this 15% is it made the people that came to Al-Anon, it it made them come back to themselves. It made them look more at themselves, applying those 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous to themselves. Good idea. Anybody sort of like, I'll never forget Kayla saying anybody over the age of two should have dialectical behavioral therapy. Well, I think anybody (laughs) over the age of two should try on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, whether you have an addiction or not. But people that go to Al-Anon are applying those 12 steps to themselves. That detachment, that separation, that calmness, 15% of loved ones went into treatment. These were resistant people. Um, who who simply went to a meeting a week of Al-Anon. Yep, yep. Well, this was another fantastic conversation. And um, Dominique, I have I do have one question. Let's say our listeners have a particular question that they would like to ask the three of us to talk about or maybe answer. Is there a place on the Allies website that they can go to to ask their question and ask us to talk about um, sure they issues? can they can we 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 uh, solicit comments <clears throat> all over the site so just go anywhere we're asking you to comment um, um, ask your question send in your comment but also I think in iTunes, there's a, a place underneath where you can write in. We can also post material. I'm, I'm not, I don't have the details in front of me. I promise I will next time. But um, you can also reach us without going to the member site um, and providing us with, with suggestions and questions. And remember, awesome. the member site is alliesinrecovery.net. And if you're interested in becoming a member, all the information is on there. And the site is remarkable, absolutely remarkable. There's so many different resources on there. I highly recommend it. Awesome. Thank you, ladies. Thank you so much. And I will see you next week. Have a good week. Have a good week. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesandrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, our production team, and Mikael Mouboussin for the original music composition.